In this episode, we're having a conversation with film professor Billy Gunn and history professor Rob Bond. What are we watching? How are we consuming media? And how do we view this pandemic through the lens of history? Let's explore some big and little questions. All right, Billy, our full-time film professor, what, what are you watching right now while we're all on stay-at-home orders? Yeah, I, I think that my answer is going to be horribly disappointing to most of you. Um, <laughs> Let's go. Th this is the challenge. Like, I, I'm, my, you know, most people have their uh, New Year's resolutions to watch less and read more, and, and I've been reading more and watching less the last couple of years, um, partly just because of my life situation and having small kids, and when it, that my time to watch is, is pretty limited. So, and then I'm, I'm also dealing with like compatibility with my, with my wife, you know? So it's like, what do we want to watch when, when the kids are asleep? So honestly, most of the stuff we've been watching lately is pretty, pretty kind of standard, like escapist comedies and, and fun stuff. A lot of TV, mm -hmm. honestly, more than film, you know, we like, we binge watched Brooklyn nine, nine recently we finished, you know, we're going back and find, finishing stuff that we didn't have time to watch, like finished The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, which was fun. And then I watch a lot of stuff for, for my classes, you know, so I'll, I'll revisit films that I'm teaching. So that's probably where I'm getting like my, my higher quality viewing, you know, like recently watched Memento and Citizen Kane and then Pan's Labyrinth. So I get to watch some cool stuff every once in a while. But, but really, I think for me, at least right now, it's, it's, um, I'm trying to find that something light. Is it is it a requirement in the discipline that you watch Citizen Kane at least once a year? <laughs> yeah, it should be. It should be. Seriously, yeah. I think I don't know how many film classes teach it. I, I feel like it's right, like for our film history class, it's right on the cusp between the first half and the second half. So it's like I watch it. I sort of give students an option. So I I probably watch it two or three times a year, at least. But yeah, it's one of those that it's just hard to avoid. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know. Like, I still actually think it's pretty worthwhile. Just at the point in history, in film history, when it was when it was produced and and just it's pretty revolutionary. So for me, I still enjoy it. But yeah, I can see it's not it's not uh, super watchable for most people. But I think <laughs> if you're watching with a really critical eye, you, you appreciate it. Do you, do you um, does the interpretation of Rosebud have any special significance? during a pandemic? Um, no, does it for you? <laughs> hey, I'm asking the questions here, you know. <laughs> we invited you onto the podcast. I'm not, I'm not doing to just throw softballs. No, I mean, I mean, sure. I mean, like, I don't know, the quest for recapturing your youth or the moment in your life where things radically shifted. I think, I think, yeah, if we look at this pandemic, right? It seems it, you don't want to be too dramatic and, and project too far out, but it does feel like one of those moments where it does, it does, uh, it's a shift, you know? So we think we're going to think of things before and after this. I, I hope it's not that way. I sure. I hope we get a vaccine in a couple months and, and things are all back to normal, but I feel like we're, we're finding something there. So yeah, I mean, there, that's the rosebud connection for me is, is the turning point. That's you did it. You yeah. did it. Yeah. See, that's what that PhD is for. Yeah, you're welcome. <laughs> Thank you, Billy. Yeah. <laughs> How about you, Rob? What are you watching these days? Uh, my subscriptions to Netflix and Hulu kind of lapsed. So I, uh, I've been doing a lot on the library's uh, films. So I've been watching stuff on Swank and on, um, on Canopy. So I've been going through Canopy's Middle East uh, films 
because I wanted to see what new stuff I could introduce into the Middle East class. So most of it's all depressing. <laughs> so I've, I, I, I rewatched Real Bad Arabs, which looks at uh, stereotypes in Hollywood. Mm-hmm. And um, I'm having the students watch that. And then uh, there's one called uh, Fathers and Sons, which is this just amazing documentary of a, a jihadist in Syria and how he's uh, teaching his sons to kind of be like him. Wow. And it's just, yeah, insane. Yeah. And then, of course, to even make things more exciting, I watched this one called uh, City of Life and Death, which is about the rape of Nanking. And it's, it's, um, it's a, re- a recreation of it. And it's, it's really a great action film. So I watched that. I'm going to go back on Hulu because I'm kind of missing, uh, I, I'm missing the season of Rick and Morty, which I love. Huh. I and so I got I to gotta check that out again. That's kind of the stuff I've been looking at. Cool. Yeah. Uh, I'm so the the watching or reading to prep for classes and the little time that's left uh, to read for pleasure. You know, I find in in my discipline as well that there's not a lot of joyful, insightful, just pleasant text that I want to go after and even and bring into a class. <laughs> it's almost all wholly depressing. Uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Uh, which is tough. So um, you also mentioned, Rob, you're, you're, you're on your son's PC. Are you playing video games right now too? Uh, I have. Yeah. Uh, I, I, to put the new version of Windows on, I had to kind of mess things up. But I do like playing uh, video games. So I play StarCraft. And, um, and then he got me into some first-person shooting games. Yeah. So um, if I want some excitement, I'll play PUBG and get chased around. <laughs> and uh, I have actually won a chicken dinner. I, Ooh, I well done. Nice. <laughs> and then I really like Battlefield Five, which is, uh, takes place. Uh, it's a first-person shooter in World War II, and it's really realistic. It's yeah. amazing. Yeah. Uh, as a historian, I can look at how they kind of recreated the, the weapons and the airplanes, and um, there's this whole battle scene in Amsterdam, which is amazing. Yeah. Um, so that's the kind of stuff I've been playing. Yeah, those battlefield games, they're like, they get the, like the actual gun and they like to record the sound and the map, you know, the skin and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Makes me think of, uh, Billy, you'll probably know, uh, Peter Jackson worked with a, uh, an initiative to restore some World War One fit. Yeah. Do you recall, did you hear about this? It's called like they will, not grow old is that the name of it? something like that something yeah like that. Um, yeah they colorized it and added dialogue that's right and they yeah. hired they like they did their best to um guess like these individuals on the, the footage they had like what regions they would have been fun from and they hired actors from those regions trying yeah. to be as authentic yeah. as they can yeah super cool yeah yeah, super yeah cool. i haven't seen it yet but yeah it's it's it looks amazing yeah jackson like bought most of the military hardware used in it too really <laughs> oh wow he's a big collector yeah i guess yeah it's awesome yeah yeah cool so we know that we are watching movies inside and it's changed a lot of the film industry right billy like it's yeah. you know these are now being released via streaming and people can pay kind of a flat rate to rent them um what what, what do you feel like this whole pandemic and staying at home and not going out to the movie theater like what can you talk about that culture of like movie going a little bit of the history of that and and what what we're doing now and how it's so much different yeah sure i mean i i think most of us are of, of an age that we we remember 
uh, like pre-streaming, a pre-streaming world and our students really don't. So to me, that's interesting. And when I talk about these things in, in particularly in my film history class, and I talk a little bit about streaming in my intro to film class too, it's something that they really, it, it's, it's, it's such a different world, right? The, the ability to get everything now, um, either on Netflix or Hulu or HBO Go or, you know, they're going to Amazon, they're yeah. going to torrent something or whatever. Um, it, it's, that's a different, that's a totally different um, thing. So I, I think that's the big shift I've seen um, in students in the last, you know, 10 years or so, just, just that kind of mindset of having everything now. I mean, I, I mean, I remember programming a, a VCR, you know, to catch uh, an episode of, whatever the TV show was in the, you know, or a football game or whatever. Yeah. And, and that's something that's totally, um, totally gone from, right. from our, our students' consciousness. So, yeah, I mean. <laughs> Deciding which tapes to record over, right? <laughs> yeah, 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 totally. Yeah. And you hope you don't re record over your parents, you know, yeah. favorite episode of MASH or whatever. It was. <laughs> um, I still have some He-Man stuff you know, on my, I still have. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Yeah. That's really awesome. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, so so it's yeah. I mean, there's so much to watch. I mean, I feel like if anything, the last few years we've seen such so much production and so much variety in content and so many different streaming services. It feels like there's never been more work happening. Um, but I think well, I guess what I'm saying is we were already shifting towards a streaming culture anyway, and and so movie theater chains are going to be hit pretty hard, obviously, and and people going back to the theater, I think it's going to be a big, a big ask. So yeah, I mean, that's, that's tricky. But um, yeah, I mean, there's lots of other stuff too. the fact that productions are stopped, yep. some of them midstream. And, and so my thought is, what's going to happen when those productions go back into um, when they go back to work, right? Mm -hmm. um, we're going to have all this content that feels really out of touch and out of place, I think, um, in a in the post COVID-19 world. Right. But yeah, yeah. So I mean, that's something I'm thinking about is like those, the responses to the pandemic are going to be interesting and seeing, you know, just even watching a, a, an episode of, I, I was watching a stupid show called um, Zoe's Extraordinary Playlist. It's like this song and dance comedy on, I think, NBC and it's streaming on Hulu. So it's like they're hugging, you know, they're high-fiving, they're in these coffee shops and it's like, we just, we're not there, you know? Um, yeah, and yeah, and we've all had that experience where we see that those intimate or they weren't, they didn't feel intimate at the time, but we see them now and they feel intimate. So, so I think things are going to be a little different. Yeah. Do you think uh, boutique theaters will still be popular where you can sit in your nice bark lounger and drink a martini and watch a movie? Well, there is more distance there, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or possible. Yeah. yeah, I think we were like you're like yeah. I think Rob, that's a good, really, really good point. And and yeah, I think the distance is makes it more feasible. And we were moving that way anyway. I think everyone kind of wants that experience. And with with the amount of money that it costs to go anyway, you know, a little to pay a little bit of a premium for that extra space and extra luxuries is totally worth it for most people if you're going to spend what it takes to go to see a movie. So yeah, I mean, I think we're moving, we were moving there already and this might, might make it a little bit faster. Good point. Mm -hmm. uh, one thing that I've been thinking about, um, you know, the, the habits we develop around consuming media, um, whether it be binge watching or sort of scrolling through feeds, um, 
but the, you know, those versus the, the movie theater experience where it's this discrete setting where I, I go in often with people anticipating what we're about to see. There's conversation around that. We experience the film in real time together and then we leave. Um, and oftentimes we'll resume a conversation and or allow that film to contextualize some kind of thinking about, you know, where we are, what's going on. I feel like that for me is a pretty significant loss right now, um, especially because of just the kind of information that gets embedded in our binge watching and or our, you know, scrolling through feeds. And so what do you think, Billy, about like, how do we promote habits of consumption right now um, that, that somehow, you know, get us back into social contexts around media consumption? I think that's a great question. I've seen this thing called like Netflix party that you can get a little extension on Chrome and watch the same thing at the same time with somebody and have like a chat open. Uh, yeah. So what, what are some that's, other um, things like that that you're seeing, Billy? Yeah. I mean, I, I, I think that's, that's the thing I'm seeing is, is opportunities or events that are really kind of virtual events um, where, yeah, you're streaming at the same time or you're, you're kind of going through this experience together. And like what, like really like what Curry said, right? I mean, the, a big part of going into a movie theater is that collective experience, also a theater theater, not just a movie theater. Um, yeah. Yeah. And, and, and having that with other people is, is really, is really critical. So, so yeah, that's a big loss, I think. So more like, I mean, we're stuck in this and it's happening to us, but like, how do we cultivate habits of consumption? In other words, are, are there things we should be careful with, with binge watching, with streaming or yeah, promoting that social interaction? Yeah. I mean, okay, good. Yeah. So a couple things. Yeah. So, I mean, I think more opportunities to create those like collective viewing experiences and, and we're trying to turn one of our international film series events into a virtual screening. I have some honor students who, who wanted to, to kind of take that on. So, so that's, that's something that I think is, is definitely um, worthwhile. Right. I mean, if you have an opportunity to do that and, and I mean, in some ways we're finding that we can connect maybe in more productive ways, even doing a lot of these zoom uh, meetings and conferences they're giving us opportunities to interact, I, I think, more than we have in the past. I mean, I'm calling my parents more than I ever have. Um, my family got everyone on, on a Zoom conference yesterday. So I think the, the, the like yearning for those collective experiences is, is pretty crucial. Um, the one thing I'll say, too, the, the challenge with a streaming world, and this was pre-pandemic you know, as well, but I think we're so there's so much stuff coming at us. And like you're saying, you're like, everyone's multitasking. If you're watching a movie or if I feel, I feel like, what are my students doing? They're watching a movie. They got a phone, they got a laptop, a TV. Yeah. They have multiple devices playing at one time. So the act of going to a movie theater or a theater and sitting at total attention, yeah. right. Is, is something it's, it's it feels like such a luxury to say, yeah. I'm going to give two or three hours to this one task and I'm going to only focus on that. It seems so important for our brains to do that, at least intuitively to me, but um, that's something that we've lost. Um, yeah. And then I feel like maybe it's getting worse because we're all just screen, screen, screen all the time. Yeah. I mean, it could speak to a class division too, right? When oh, yeah. these luxury theaters, you know, with the reclining chairs and the distance and people waiting on you and, and things like that, when streaming is so ubiquitous, it's, you know, other, that may be the, the way that 
a lot of people in you know middle class and below um, consume content and, and not to say that not everybody's doing that but you know to a degree it's like that's more accessible right definitely yeah Rob I have a question for you so like as a historian how are you interpreting the pandemic and kind of looking forward to look back at this time and and this situation what what are some things that you're thinking about from kind of your discipline perspective uh, that's uh so of course pandemics in history there have been lots of uh, lots of them i think the first one i ever remember uh, learning about was uh the one the during the peloponnesian war between the uh sparta you know sparta and athens mm. and uh, it struck athens and uh, i read this in thucydides and I, it just got me fascinated we've had many many pandemics and i think we can learn from them uh from the kind of writing that has been produced the art the music um so there there's a lot you can learn from uh from from these uh these pandemics and and i've been trying to introduce a little bit about them in the classroom but uh again i feel like the students don't really want to be reminded maybe mm. they want to go to a history class to learn about something else than pandemics mm-hmm. so i'm i'm for example i you know i didn't plan but this week two, two of my classes are looking at the black death in florence italy <laughs> and and they're annotating some primary sources on the black death and as they read it i think they'll realize the what what the people in florence went through is quite a different experience from what we're going through today huh. um, right. i mean you think about it the europe in three years lost maybe a third to a half of its population that would be like us losing like 90 million people in 3 years which is like incredible so so i'm hoping they'll by by annotating these sources and we'll be talking about them that they'll they'll see the the context in which human beings react in many of the same ways uh for example one of the sources talks about uh people hoarding and people you know the price of items going up considerably and i think they'll see a lot of parallels with that yeah right yeah and then also you know with things like social distancing people wearing masks virtual connecting mm-hmm. history tells us that we usually get back to some state of normal or equilibrium right yes of course i i mean um humanity is very how would you say um it survives right it uh it always tends to figure out ways to solve problems and and get beyond it i mean there are some other things that are interesting like um I I saw an article the other day by a historian who was looking at the history of masks and how uh it, like New York City ban has actually banned masks in their legal system hmm. and now they're saying wear masks yeah um <laughs> or or how we associate um another really interesting topic is how we associate and this was su- uh suggested or uh, in a discussion with one of our associate faculty how we associate uh pandemics with different peoples yeah mm. and we tend to demonize different peoples so for example we've had you know the in the past we had the 1918 flu yeah. but it was also known as the spanish flu right we've had um sars and others that we've associated with china and uh, of course even the black death always quote unquote starts in china though we're not exactly sure yeah uh So I I think that's a really interesting topic as well to look at. So there there's a lot of things that we can look at and think about uh when it comes to pandemics and and maybe we can we don't have to look at the 
at just the the human cost, but look at other things associated with it. Yeah, um, my my family and I we just recently watched the uh, the American Experience show on PBS. They have a great documentary on the 1918 pandemic, and what was striking watching it was, you know, seeing these images of slowly everybody starting to wear masks, right? Um, mm -hmm. And this was right uh, uh, World War One, ending of World War One. Is that yeah. right? Yeah. yeah, so you had this you know, confluence of, of global events. Um, and so there's a need to go out in March, but a cognizance of needing to kind of distance from each other, which I thought was really striking looking at kind of images that we're seeing right now in our own news. Uh, but then the other was, um, there's a moment, and I'm going to get the details wrong because we watched this a couple of weeks ago, where um, leadership was really contemplating the need to recruit more soldiers. And the only way to do that was to get all of these young men into a room together and young, healthy men, that was one of the like biggest at-risk groups for that particular pandemic, right? Um, which is making me think of, you know, the elections that are happening and kind of our needs to still sustain, mm -hmm. right? Um, uh, democracy and, and you know, uh, what, what we prioritize as a society, which is in conflict with, you know, uh, what we need to survive right now, so. Um, I, I, I was, um... I, to to kind of digress, but I was um, I was trying to read some things up on 1918 in uh, in San Diego. Oh, and it was really interesting because they had the same kind of issues. They wanted to start separating people and wearing masks, and all the bars in downtown San Diego went crazy about that. Wow. You know, you can't do this. Yeah, and um, the head uh, the head uh, medical advisor to San Diego actually started a hospital in Little Italy. And I love it. They were treating they were treating the 1918 flu with uh, garlic and red wine. Right. Kind of can't beat that one. <laughs> so, that was that was the other striking thing from that American Experience documentary. There was this interview with families who made their own medicine, and the the reasoning was we just needed something, and it <laughs> smelt like medicine when Dad boiled it on the on the stove, and so we took it. All the neighbors took it. And, like, no, don't do that. <laughs> their immune system working probably. Yeah, it did help. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. There you go. I'm thinking too, Billy, of what you said earlier about just the 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 iconography, right? The images that we see and respond to or no longer relate to. Um, our colleague Denise Stevenson wrote a book uh, not too long ago uh, called Isolation. It was about a, a you know post-pandemic society. And one of the strike, and I think even this was maybe the inspiration from the book, um, there's a striking scene where um, one of the characters picks up the um, Night Before Christmas uh, book and the part where Santa puts his finger to the side of his nose and it totally doesn't make any sense. It's total cognitive dissonance, right? Because why would anybody touch their face? That's how you get sick, that's how you die, right? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm just trying to think as far as, you know, obviously film's a visual medium so the types of images that that we're gonna see are, are like you're saying like we, we are we're I think we like intuitively are already reacting kind of viscerally whether wherever we're get, getting our images from if it's on television or on social media or whatever and we see these these images that feel out of touch um, and, and yeah it's, it's just it's hard to imagine you know a world where you can't go up and hug somebody right. You know, even something as silly as, as like you're saying, touching the side of your nose. Right. Um, I mean, yeah, it, it's, it's hard, especially as someone, like I'm, I'm a hugger to, to begin with. I mean, 
so so for me that loss of like physical contact is 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 uh, pretty pretty serious and i think it is for a lot of our students too the inability to have those connections and and is is not great for us psychologically and emotionally. So that's that's a big challenge that I think we're going to have to realize and and just realize how we're going to deal with. You know, um, find new ways to connect, or or hopefully you have. I don't know. I just don't know what it's going to look like. You know. Yeah. Right. No. Absolutely. And right now the world feels surreal, and to me, it it almost feels like a movie right now. Like we've been taken out of reality and kind of put into this new area. And so, you know, it's kind of like in figuring all of this out, it does feel so different in the same way that we are transported from reality when we're watching, you know, a film or a TV series. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I know I'm not the only one who's having just the weirdest dreams, like super vivid and like, mm-hmm. Not really like nightmares, but just very um, intense, vivid dreams that when you wake up, you don't really feel as rested as usual. Um, I'm kind of and, living my anxiety out through those in my dreams. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. yes. Mm-hmm. Totally. Yeah. Huh. No, that's exactly it for me too. And and it took me, it was really early on, about maybe a month ago, I had this night and I could not sleep. I was up till three in the morning. And I'm I'm usually a really, I, I sleep really well. I, I'm a light sleeper, but I can fall asleep anytime, any place. Yeah. But if I hear anything, I'm awake. And I was just, I was up. I was up till 3, 3.30 in the morning. And I just, I had to figure out a way to kind of move on. So I, I cut myself off from news at like early afternoon. I just cut it off. Um, I started exercising better. I started running again. I, you know, I, had, I wasn't keeping that up. And it made a huge difference. Planted a garden that week. I was like, it was Saturday. I'm like, we're doing this, planting a garden. Yeah. Um, I got a garden. I'm running. So it totally shifted my my daily routine. And for me, that's what I had to do to deal with it. And I had the luxury of time to do it, money to go buy the junk needed to finish my garden. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I, I feel really fortunate that I was able to do that. But I just... I imagine so many of our students and so many other people around the world who don't have that ability to kind of shift their consciousness like that. And that's, that's pretty heartbreaking. So, yeah. I think with a lot of my students too, at least through my office hours that I've had with them, they do feel very isolated, Mm -hmm. really isolated. So I think one of the things is that as, as this pandemic starts to ease or things start to change, we're going to have to totally renegotiate how we socially interact. Yeah, and I'm thinking, how do we do that? I mean, do, you, do are people just going to jump in and uh, go for it, or are people going to be very hesitant? You know, when we start having classes again, and and at, at Miracosta, are people going to say, no, I, I I'd rather feel more comfortable now online? Yeah, yeah, and you know, when when talking to the students, we actually heard the opposite that they are not digging this online. <laughs> thing and and they're re you know rethinking their their transfer options and staying at miracosta or taking some time off because they really are craving that face-to-face interaction yeah and going back to that idea of anxiety you know yeah i was feeling it too the other day i was feeling really anxious and it was one of those things where you can't really pinpoint why and then i was like oh yeah because we're living through a pandemic that might be (laughs) be part of it right (laughs) um 
and and there's various coping mechanisms right and one of them is the consumption of media or the consumption of information and so for both of you like what do you think about like maybe overconsumption during this time because there is so much time at home some people have more time than others obviously but you know some people could just be watching films and watching movies you know all day long and also kind of taking in a lot of the media and taking in a lot of the news and trying to be as informed as possible, you know, to the point where it is um, maybe causing some problems for people. For me, it's, it's all about creating a variety of experiences every day that can keep your, that can keep you fresh, whatever that means, you know, emotionally or it, just to lessen that anxiety. So for me, it's a variety of physical activities, intellectually stimulating activities, and then those mind-numbing escape escapist activities. And and for me, like you know, I, I like I said earlier, I've been reading a lot, and so I'm looking at my book list from this year, and it's like a it's it's it really is a good variety. So I mean, I think this is a good good example. So right now I'm reading 1984, which like comments on our current situation in so many ways and i mean it's it's pretty stunning to to read that what i read right before that was the third game of thrones book so just like pure escapist like extremely well written i think and awesomely creative but not really super um you know thought provoking in any way (laughs) then i read a jack reacher novel before that so just total garbage Um, (laughs) and then i read a couple nonfiction. i don't read i usually stick to fiction you know but then I needed to mix it up a couple months back. So I read Creativity Inc. It's about the Pixar founder, Ed Catmull. Really, really cool story. A lot of interesting stuff. Um, read another nonfiction book called The Women Who Smashed Codes. This really awesome story about a woman who named Elizabeth Smith, Elizabeth Smith who uh, was a kind of revolutionary code breaker during World War II and Prohibition. And then, yeah, if I just go back and back and back, it's it's the same pattern. It's nonfiction, escapist, then something thought-provoking. So um, to me, that's been really helpful to read rather than watch. Time um, behind a screen, I think limiting screen time as much as possible is the key. For, for me, it has been. So, yeah. yeah. I, um, I unfortunately have been doing too much work. I've been spending way too much time in front of the screen, probably 10, 12 hours a day. Yeah. Um, I unfortunately, before this happened, I, I took on a, a, some work for a publisher for Oxford <laughs> and they've got me uh, editing and updating 1600 questions for a student uh, test bank. Oh my gosh. <laughs> so that's, that's, that's part of my anxiety and my insanity. Yeah. Um, but when it comes to reading, I've, I've been, um, I tend to read toward what's impacting me in my life. So for example, my son, um, he's in the Marines now. So I ordered some books on the Marine Corps to learn nice. the history, more yeah. of the history. And yeah. so I've been reading that and uh, let's see, for escapist stuff, I, you know, I, um, I love um, the Jack Aubrey books. I don't know if you've ever heard of the most famous one's Master and Commander, which was made into a movie. Oh, sure. Yeah. 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 Anyways, those those are um, nautical tales, and I, I kind of I, I love those because the the author and the name just skipped my mind. Uh, he he writes in the language from the period of time, so you actually like have to have a dictionary open when you're reading this book. Gotcha. 
but it's so entertaining and the characters are just uh, so vibrant. So that's kind of, uh, I go, I go to sea nice, <laughs> and, and fight the Napoleonic wars on, on ships. And, uh, so that's kind of some of my like, and then, um, uh, I'm, I'm also reading a manuscript from, uh, one of my colleagues. So that's kind of interesting too. So, yeah. Right on. Do, you, do you think it's possible to overconsume history, Rob? Just curious. <laughs> um in my case you know it's it's even when i'm reading no (laughs) okay no you know even i i like to read uh historical novels yeah you know i'll those i i get to those and i look at those and i start reading them and then i i sit there and evaluate how how well the author did to set the piece so i i guess no i i i consumed way too much history probably gotcha. and i need to i need to you know one of the things i can say that i that that i do to kind of escape is is my twitter feed so i i love twitter so i spend a lot i you know in the evenings i'll scroll through my feed for maybe an hour and a half two hours looking at what people are saying there and i subscribe to so many different you know institutions organizations political leaders cultural people I mean, it's just so much variety that you can get just scrolling through, um, yeah, through Twitter. So, oh. I mean, I was looking at this really cool feed uh, yesterday uh, by a guy. Uh, he he spoke at Miracosta Ali Olumi, and he uh, he's talking all about the history of uh, jinn or genies in in, uh, in Middle Eastern history. So it's you know, uh, so that's that's where I get lost sometimes. Nice. I, uh, my, I don't, I'm not on Twitter, but I, what I hear of it mostly is that it's a toxic place. So I'm kind of, uh, happy to hear that, that you are finding, um, some gems in there. Maybe before we get off this pod, um, if, if you have one or two that you could recommend or a couple, like some good ones that people could put in their feed to, if they're finding toxicity in Twitter right now, <laughs> we can edify. <laughs> okay. So with that, with that consumption of all that history, Rob, what, what, how has the handling of this at the state, national, world level, how do you view that as a historian? That's really uh, interesting. If you're interested in seeing what historians think about what's going on, there's a really good website called uh, hnn.us. It's the History News Network. And um, you'll, you'll see a lot of uh, interesting commentary by historians. Uh, historians are, are trying to put as much in context as possible. So, you know, like I said, uh, wearing masks or um, there, there's a couple articles today I haven't read yet, but they're all on, uh, prom, you know, pro- in the past promises of quick cures. This will take care of you, you know, use disinfectant, that kind of stuff. Right. Um, and so it's putting it all into context. The other thing, of course, is historians are really great at being fact, fact checkers. So, you know, we're calling uh, historians calling out people all the time on, on what they have to say. So, you know, I, I think, I think as that, that's what historians are doing right now. Um, they're trying to put everything within the context of understanding. And, and a lot of it comes centered around what we know a lot about, which is the, the pandemic of, of uh, 1918. And I, I see far less discussions of, of things earlier than that. Got it. Yeah, makes sense. I, I, was, I mean, I'll just throw in that I, I really feel like the, the context that you get in the humanities is, is often 
grounded in history, you know, whether it's art or literature or film, I think there's always a historical lens in there um, that's, that's really important. So I, I think even for non-historians, the idea that you can consume too much history, um, it doesn't hold for me at least. Yeah. Um, so, so yeah, I, I think that's a huge part of, of what we do in the humanities is providing that context of perspective. Um, and whether that's a TV show or a film or historical fiction, I think all of those things can provide not just an escape, but, you know, an increased ability to empathize with people in different times and different places and from different walks of life. So, Right. And with that being said, you know, you talked a little bit about this, Billy, of this being kind of a pause. I mean, it's a pause for everybody, but Mm -hmm. a pause for production right now of TV shows and films and things like that how does that stack up to other times in our history, maybe World War II, you know, when the, the Hollywood was kind of, you know, still getting established and, and they kind of had to take these pauses or, you know, there were these national um, emergencies happening and how did that affect um, the production of a lot of the media that we consume in terms of films? Well, for me, the big thing that comes to mind is that there's always a there are always winners and losers in these types of situations, right? And so the the Hollywood was the big winner, at least in the film industry during World War One and World War Two. So you know that I mean there was such a new technology during World War One. So I mean really almost all the film production was happening in 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 Europe and the United States, and the United States was not number one. At the beginning of World War One, so it, it. But after World War One, they really were, and then um, World War Two really solidified that. So, coming out of the war, Hollywood was bigger and stronger and more equipped to not just export culture but political ideology throughout the world, and that's what it did. So it was a huge, huge um, win for for hollywood you know which is interesting as far as content goes i think you have again just a a really broad variety of escapist and you know social issues pieces and you know various hollywood genres that that um get people excited to go see them to the movies but yeah i mean again what we're talking about people going to the movies all the time I, i think the I don't have it on the top off the top of my head, but I'm pretty sure the the number of people who went to the movies every week in 1946 was 90 million. So, Rob, what was the population of the U.S. in after World War II? Do you remember? That's a good on one. I could. I yeah. I think it was close. To, I think it's like 60 percent of the population. It was. That correct. sounds like about right. Yeah. yeah. So so basically, when when I when I do this in class, I say, okay, look around you. How many of you went to the movies last week? And like three people raise their hand and I say, if we were in 1946, six out of 10 would, would be raising their hands. Right. And then of course you factor in like, um, economic kind of divisions and things like that. I mean, in certain places it would be, it could be 90 or hundred percent, right. In other, in other neighborhoods, it could be five or 10%. But if if you asked how many people streamed a movie last week, then it would be all hands. Absolutely. Right. (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah. And and so that's where we see the shift. I asked the same thing because I used to work in the newspaper industry um, as a press operator and I would ask students first day of class kind of just to highlight the, significance of the time in history that they're living in now 
I say, how many of you have read the newspaper or read the newspaper this morning? And a few people raise their hands, but I say, no, not, not on your phone and not in a browser, but actually read the physical, you know, the newspaper with the ink on the paper and all the hands go down, right? And it just shows that kind of evolution of the way that we consume media. And a lot of that is decentralized now. I mean, with news, of course, you know, local news is, looks a lot different than it did in the past. And so I think about that too, Billy, with film and TV production, to me, and, and please correct me if I'm wrong, I feel like it is decentralized now. It's not just Hollywood, yeah? Yeah, I think it is way more decentralized than it ever has been, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's I mean, Hollywood's still the center of the universe, but, um, but there's definitely a lot more variety in locations where, where films are being, and television shows are being made. I mean, it's incremental progress, but the, the people who have access to, you know, I mean, across kind of racial and other categories, right? People of more, more diverse groups of people have access to, the, to producing uh, media as well, which is good. And it's still not where it should be, but, but there's definitely, we're seeing I, that progress. I also, with so much media being produced, I think uh, it's so what we would call present presentent presentist all in the present and then and so i don't i wonder how many people watching media or how get any sense of the past how many yeah. people for example watch a black and white movie yeah you know i grew up on those uh, right. on tv uh, and my dad made sure to me he loved everything from the 40s so i had to watch every single black and white film there was yeah um, yeah I show a couple of black and white films in my intro to film class. And uh, yeah, students are like, I, I often get that comment in the discussion board. Yeah. I never, I've never seen a black and white film before, yeah. you know? Right. It's hard to, it's hard to imagine that, but I think that is key idea. That is a key idea, right? That, that the present is the most important to a younger generation, especially right. Without that historical context, um, and that's why you're saying the movies that are being produced now, sorry to cut you off. Yeah, yeah, no, that's why ahead. you're saying the movies that are being produced now or in the near future are going to be out of touch with the realities that we just went through. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. But I mean, I also think there's danger in that too, right? To think that the, the situation we're living in is unprecedented or that, that, um, you know, like, like Rob's saying, like showing, showing, um, his students this week and having them investigate for themselves the consequences of uh, the black death in Italy, right? That's a, the, the, the human toll alone is, is so staggering that, that you see when you get that perspective, it totally changes you. And for me, like, so I'm, I'm reading 1984, right? That's one of the key ideas that you can erase history, that you can rewrite, mm -hmm. that you go back and you rewrite these newspaper articles. And, and so that the current context is, is, is all, always emphasized, and and I think there's danger in that as well. Right. But I think just where we're at as a culture and as a people, seeing those intimate physical moments are going to be jarring for a while. Right. Well, and then the other side of this, right, is the the over fragmentation in in all of this production, right? And 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 I remember just a couple of years ago, uh, I was listening to NPR, and the the piece was talking about how. In that particular year, there were more TV shows greenlighted, more films greenlighted, to the point where when all of that content was going to be produced, it would exceed the number of hours in the year 
that content was going to be produced, which meant <laughs> there's no human way, unless you watch everything on double speed, to, to even consume the amount of media that's, uh, which, which I think makes this particular moment really interesting for us, our generation. We're the first generation to have that as a problem, and now we've been <laughs> given this pause in production, mm -hmm. which gives us a chance to catch up and reflect and be a little more contemplative. Um, yeah. Right, and how <laughs> awful it's for historians to have to look at this period of time in the future. Yeah, <laughs> too much information. I know. <laughs> yeah, so true. Yeah, you got to take a really specific angle. I feel like, right? Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah, and I know I'm not the only one, but does anybody like when you're going through Netflix or Hulu, you're just spending more time like trying to find something that's as right. opposed to actually watching something? Is that yeah, is right. that a thing, Billy? Absolutely, that's a thing. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah, I mean, what watching Netflix is, it's just clicking from yeah. tile to tile. <laughs> it really is. It really is. I mean, it's, it's, it's the strangest thing when you think about how much content is available on any streaming service, even if you have just one, right? Even if it's just Netflix or just Hulu or just Amazon Prime or whatever. Yeah. The fact that you can't find something to watch is scary. It is. But we're all there. We're all there, right? We're, we, yeah. I'm, every night, that's where I'm at. I, I remember cable where you had one person who had the who had the remote and total power. That's right. <laughs> That's not happening anymore. You were lucky if you had cable too. Yeah. Now we all have our own devices. Everybody right. is in their own little autonomous bubble. Yep. yep. Yeah. Exactly. Isolation within community. That's yeah. right. That's right. We're watching a movie together, and I'm using air quotes for the listeners. <laughs> yeah. So one thing that uh, my family, uh, so and I, I know a lot of people are doing this, um, we're, we're watching The Office, and I, I had never seen it before, and oh. my son really wanted to watch it because he's seen all this promotion, and it's actually been really healthy for our family because of what we're talking about. We, towards the end of the day, we're all pretty tired, we all want to go to our like spaces, and we end up doing that, but at 8.30, from 8.30 to 10.30, 8.30 to 10 every night, we go watch The Office and somebody without fail at this point will see it's 8.30 and go get everybody else and we turn everything else off and we go in the living room and we watch The Office. Um, and that's, that's been pretty cool. But I want to share one more quick story. Um, <laughs> because, so my youngest daughter, Ryan, she's 12, loves The Office at this point, probably more than Brody is into it. Um, and she saw uh, John Krasinski, he's the, plays Jim. Yeah. He, he directed a film called The Quiet Place. Um, and this fascinates me because uh, we watched Stranger Things a while ago and Ryan and I watched Stranger Things with pillows on our faces sitting on the ground. <laughs> she wanted to watch it, but she didn't want to watch it. So she and I, every time she got scared, I'd put a pillow on my face with her. But she really wanted to watch The Quiet Place. One, because John Krasinski directed it and he's in it. So she wanted to see Jim. But I think also because that film has to do with isolation, family in a house, they're facing these like total uncertainty. Um, the family pretty much hated that movie. We all watched it with pillows on our faces. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a tough watch. You yeah. know, Krasinski did a couple of uh, episodes just uh, of his own show and put it on YouTube. Yeah, mm -hmm. my mm -hmm. wife really? is super into that. It's called the Some the, Good News Network. Some Good News, yeah. yeah. Yeah, he did a virtual prom last weekend, I think. Yeah. It's supposed to be pretty awesome. I've seen clips. I haven't watched a full episode, but I've heard amazing stuff, too. Yeah, about that. so that's a joyful thing. That we can share. Yeah, it's interesting. The Office somehow has, like, really... I remember watching it when it came out and thinking, oh, this is such a cool show. It's funny. It's quirky. But yeah. I had no sense that it would transcend any generation at all. Right. And I, I'll, I mean, I can speak not just to what you're 
what your um, family is going through, but like all of my students, that's what they watch. Right. They watch right. the office on repeat all the time. It's, right. it's like oh, comfort shop. food at this point, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah, you just have it on in the background as background noise. And it is the number one viewed show on Netflix and it's not a yeah. Netflix show. So, right. Wait, and we can, we can all work to channel our inward, you know, our inner Dwight, you know, <laughs> I was okay. going inner Michael, so I don't know what's wrong <laughs> yeah. with me. I okay. might be more of a Michael. I don't know. I am growing some beets in the backyard. Nice. <laughs> there you go. Fruit farms over there. So are, besides the office, is there any kind of insightful, joyful, or even just distracting content that you would recommend to folks while we're, while we're at home? And that puts a lot of pressure on you, Billy, like as yeah. a film professor, what, what should we be watching? That's what people come to you for, yeah? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I, I, I have no idea. I mean, there's just so much. Um, truly, like the last, honestly, the show that just totally has spoken to me on so many levels in the last six months is Brooklyn Nine-Nine. It's just, it totally blows me away. It's so well-written and so interesting um, and just hilarious at the same time. Yeah. Um, it kind of just plays on, on all those levels and it's totally stupid at the same time. So for me, that's been a, a really great watch for the last little while. Um, I, I, um, yeah. And it's, it'll, it'll, it'll take you away to a different place and give you a good laugh. I'll give you that. Cool. It's not going to change your life, but yeah. it'll make you smile. Perfect. Sounds good. Rob. Uh, I'd say to get away from the screen, uh, I have a couple podcasts I could suggest. Nice. Of course, they're all oriented with history. Like it. But um, <laughs> one of my favorite is uh, Malcolm Gladwell's Revisionist History. That's a great one. So good. Uh, that's a great listen. And uh, his books are great, too. I read a couple years ago one called David and Goliath, mm -hmm. which was really good. Um, Everything Malcolm of, Gladwell, I will echo that. Yes. Yeah, totally. Nice. Yeah. And then uh, BBC has a thing called In Our Time, and so they do also. They just did one, for example, I was listening to on 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 gin, drinking gin, and the history of gin, which was kind of interesting. Nice. Um, another one I like is Our Fake History. Huh. Uh, it's done by a guy named Sebastian Major up in Canada, and uh, he just did uh, a three-part series on uh, on the moon landings and how uh people try to prove that it's they never happened and so he totally destroys them it's yeah. really good <laughs> if you like a lot of history really long uh dan carlin's hardcore history it's a great one great stuff uh his one on world war one is just masterful the guy he'll read like a couple hundred books and then just kind of you know process it all and then and then tell you uh and it's just good stuff Wow. He's so great at synthesizing all of that information into I, just like those podcasts. It's so it's so wonderful. I wish I, I wish I could do that. I mean, that is just amazing. Me too. That's why I just invite people on to talk because it's, <laughs> it's a little easier on this end, you know. And then one, I think Billy would like. He probably heard it. It's called um, "You Must Remember This." Yeah, yeah. Karina Longworth. She did these ones. I don't know if she's still doing them, but they're the. They kind of look at the CD past history of Hollywood, and they're really, yeah, really good. Yeah, I've listened to a few of those episodes. They're they're pretty they're pretty entertaining. Yeah. Yes, yeah, especially her research. narration is overly done to a point where you 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 start to like it after a little while. 
Uh, nice. <laughs> she extenuates her vowels like no tomorrow, but good stuff. So those are some of the things I listen to when I'm walking around the track. And I just, you know, if you don't want to look at the screen. Perfect. Yeah. Great. No, thank you for that. And James, I know you consume a lot of media and you, you play some video games. What, what are some recommendations you have for folks? <laughs> so because I'm in the middle of finishing up my master's thesis, I'm not in the middle. middle. You're at the end. It's right. I'm at the tip end of it. Yeah. <laughs> but the show, the show that I have just started watching, it's called The Last Kingdom. My father recommended it. I guess it's like an older, you know, take on the Vikings or something like that. I, I just started watching. I'm not too sure. But in reality, what I've really been doing instead of writing the thesis is playing Call of Duty because it's free. <laughs> and <laughs> all my friends are on it. We're all on PlayStation. This is kind of one of the ways that my friends and I have been connecting is through online video games and um, Call of Duty is free so we've all been able to play it um, all the time but I will say a lot of my time isn't spent on YouTube I even purchased YouTube premium because I couldn't I couldn't stand the ads anymore so it's just been media after media here now very nice yeah I've been I've been doing a lot of audiobooks I've just completed my 39th audiobook this year which is kind of excessive (laughs) <laughs> it's only April, um, but I do that while I exercise and things like that. So um, that's been really good. I, I've been kind of uh, waxing nostalgia, waxing nostalgic here with. Um, I, I've been playing a video game that's uh, called Final Fantasy VII. Nice. I grew up with the Final Fantasy series. I remember they taught me how to read because it was all text-based. Yeah. Um, you know, in the past and. They just released a remake of this, and I don't have a PlayStation 4, and it's only on PlayStation 4, and you know the game's brand new, so it's really expensive, but it's my birthday in a couple weeks. Nice. So I'm hoping to finish <laughs> the older version, which I have on my Nintendo Switch, Sweet. and once I finish that, my reward will be going out and purchasing the new one and spending some time over the summer playing that. So. Oh my gosh, the PlayStation 5 comes out at the end of this year. I was going to say, you're in a dilemma, oh. dude. Oh no. <laughs> you know what? I'm always a little bit behind anyway, so I think I'll be just fine. Maybe it'll be a price drop. It'll work out in my favor. Yeah, maybe. Well, I'll recommend a, a video game and then a, um, a book series real quick, So, and actually a podcast. So, uh, Firewatch, which is a video game uh, that's on all platforms now at this point. Um, it's a psychological thriller about someone who's isolated. So if you're totally bored, <laughs> if you need any more of this. Yeah. But if you're already anxious, maybe you don't play that one, but it's pretty interesting. It's a, it's a, the main character is in midlife crisis um, and kind of leaves life to go work on the, uh, in the out, you know, just the back country and is in charge of watching for fires. And then it's all dialogue based. So it's your character talking to someone you never actually meet face to face, but who's helping you kind of, you know, watch the fires and it just devolves into this sort of what's real what's not real who's in charge like uh, it's pretty interesting and it's all video games so you you progress the story um so it's a really well-told story through video game there's a so you billy you said earlier like like garbage books but that are just yeah. really fun to read yeah um, there's a series called red rising i don't know if you've you've read that or heard of that red one rising. by pierce brown um and so it's uh it it's it's it's, it's one of those where he's not doing anything brand new. He's kind of riffing on a lot of current popular sort of, um, you know, tropes and novels, novel writing, but he does it in a way that works really well. So like the first novel in the series reminds me a lot of Harry Potter and like kids at school finding those relationships. Um, the next one is very much like Hunger Games kind of thing going on. That's sort of mixed into the first one too. And the whole thing is like, 
you know, riffing on Roman mythologies um, where there's gods and, you know, kind of, and it's, and it's a space drama. The whole thing happens in space. So it's, <laughs> it's like thrilling and total garbage, but super fun. Um, and it's a long series too. So that if, for those people who like to get into one thing and be there for a while, Red Rising is a good, good series. Um, and then the last thing I'll recommend is a podcast called Song Exploder. Do you, does anybody listen to this? It's awesome. So it's, each episode is like 15 minutes to 20 minutes long. So they're pretty sh short. And um, 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 Risi Cash, I think is the, the, the name of the person who does it. He interviews different bands, um, but he takes his voice out of the podcast. So you just hear the band talking about their, and they pick one song. And the audio of the podcast will lay one track at a time. So when they say, well, I came up with the bass at first, you hear the, that just that track, just the bass. Yeah. So they kind of like take the song apart, put it back together. And at the end, you hear the song. So it's kind of just, you know, it's just all about the creative process. That's what this whole podcast is about, um, about music. So that one's a perfect escape cool. for me. I look forward to that one coming out every week. Cool. So. I've got one last one. I, this is from uh, Jeff Dembski, who's one of our associate faculty. He's watching all the James Bond movies in a row. Oh, nice. And oh, I know a lot of people have been doing that. But he, he also has a contest with his friends. They're, uh, for each film, they're watching it, and they're, um, they're, seeing, uh, they're guessing how many times James Bond would be sent to HR for workplace behavioral problems. <laughs> that's, that's awesome. <laughs> so I, I think that's really um, great. Yeah. Anyways, I had to share that. Great. Every three minutes. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Especially in the 60s and 70s. He's gotten a lot better. Yeah. Well, awesome. Cool. Well, thank you so much yep. for both of you being here and providing some perspective and talking with us today. It was really great. Yeah. You're welcome. You're welcome. Yeah, it was, it was fun. fun. Thanks for having us. Cool. Thanks, guys. Yeah, and one more recommendation. I would say there's a Safe Topics podcast that's pretty good. <laughs> Check it out. Sean likes to self-promote. <laughs> it's it's got to get done somehow. Are you guys putting together some swag to start giving out? You know what? Yeah, we will. How about that? Yes. T-shirts. I learned to sew. I can start to do that. <laughs> okay, so we'll have it by 2022. Some safe topic masks. How about that? We got safe topic t-shirts, masks. I was on safe topic. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, sur I survived a safe topics recording session. There you go. Cool. All right. Good work. Thank you, yep. Thanks, everyone. Thank you, Thanks. Thank you. Y'all have a good one. You yes. too. See you later. This episode was produced and engineered by Kelly Barnett. James Garcia created the show notes and manages our social media. Episodes of the Safe Topics podcast are now available on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Please download and subscribe. Thank you for listening.